Hello, America. How are you? Rise and shine. Up, get up. Up and at him, right? Well, this is the Daily Answer, your host, Mark Dunnigan. And today, let's go back to the past and let's talk about irrigation ditches. Central Oregon, a oh, wonderful place. Uh, around the towns of Madras, Redmond, and Bend is dry. And yet what I always loved about this country, besides the wonderful smells, sagebrush or sage, juniper, and views of the snow-covered cascades, whether it's Mount Hood, the Three Sisters, Bachelor, Broken Top, Washington, Jefferson, Three Finger Jack, etc., was the cold, crisp, clear water in rivers like the Deschutes, particularly the presence of irrigation ditches. If you live there at that time, clearing, opening, closing irrigation ditches was often a daily or weekly routine. And as a child, I remember thinking that if you lived in Central Oregon, then you needed to enjoy being bonded 24-7 to a shovel. Because where my aunt and uncle lived, there was always a shovel or two shovels right by the back door. That, that was part of your life. You were just always carrying a shovel around with you. And maybe for those of you that have not been to that country, um, the way that the farmers would often water their fields was not through a sprinkler system or some sort of massive industrial system on the farm. Many, many of them at that time simply had canals. These would be narrow canals, ditches that would open or close. And you kind of would build them yourself. And depending on the day of the week, the time of the day, et cetera, you know, you, you were informed by the water company when water would be coming your way. And I don't know all the ins and outs of it. I don't know if it was rather like the honor system, et cetera, but water would come your way and it was your job to kind of open up your little gate that came into your property and you were allowed so much water and and also close it as well now th th these were ditches that you know the individuals would just dig and so obviously there was constant upkeep in, ca in case kind of part of the ditch fell in there were always weeds and the weeds in the ditches could go grow real quick and the fertile central Oregon volcanic soil and that good crisp clean water so you had to keep them weeded all sorts of things like that and these trenches would flow all around your property with cold clean water and I just remember being absolutely fascinated by the entire system as you walk through fields you would need to jump jump over various little canals and in those canals you could find frogs and all sorts of other life. It, the, those little canals were microcosms. They, they were little universes of their own. When my aunt moved uh, from uh, Umpus Lane out to a piece of property overlooking the chute, she had about, I believe, seven acres. And I think about five of it needed to be irrigated because... I don't think it was wheat, but it was it was hay. I, I, th I think that hay was grown on those five other acres. And I remember there being some kind of schedule. Each farmer or homeowner in the area would receive water on certain days at a certain time.
on one morning, my mom and dad and my little brother and my aunt all walked about a mile or so up to a gate on the water system that you would need to open and close every so often. That, that That's just kind of determined the routine of your life at times. And it was kind of, it basically, it was gravity fed. You know, here just kind of the water would come down and you would, that, that was the access point. That was the access point up there. And so uh, we, we, we went through her field. We went through one gate, her field, and then another gate. We crossed the gravel road and then followed the, a large dip, ditch for a ways through the central Oregon and juniper and sagebrush with a rise of rim rocks on the left. Up near the crest of those rocks was the gate, which when open, water flowed down to her property. Well, halfway there, my little brother and I, we were roaming up higher among the rocks. And I don't remember if it was him or not. I don't think I was up with him. Because in my memory, this was and became a story about him and not me. In fact, in a family, after a while, each family member has a collection of stories that sp specifically surround them. And, and maybe it's one of the things that was there before the internet and before cell phones, that there was family lore. And there, everyone in the family at the family dinner table among the kids had a couple of stories about something foolish and dumb that you did in the past. And the family seemed to never forget those gray biscuits. And if you're not sure what that means, then look at the first podcast, Punky and the Biscuit. My older brother had to live with the story about the time that he was out driving too fast at night in the big white Mercury 1960 station wagon that we had. And he failed to navigate a corner around Mallory's Dairy and went out and took out part of a farmer's cornfield. And if my member's correct, when he came home, the underside of the car was still pulling and dragging murdered and mangled stalks of corn. Uh, he also had to live with this, uh, I think it was a story where uh, he was dating in high school. It was a turbulent relationship and they broke up and well, one day his former girlfriend comes purposely by the house um, with a new boyfriend, sitting cozy next to a new boyfriend, you know, taunting him. Well, he ran out, got in the Mercury station wagon, backed out of the garage, and, well, he took part of the garage with him. So <laughs> those are the stories. Those are the stories that, yep, yep, he had to, that surrounded him. And I had to live with many stories, far more stories, I think, than either of my brothers that surrounded me, including the time that my mom was in the hospital recovering from some sort of surgery. And her well, high-strung younger sister arrived to help at the house. And when she entered the house, I was sitting on top of the refrigerator eating a bowl of cereal. She took one look at that at the house turned around, walked out of the house, then immediately went to the hospital to tell my poor mom about the disaster that was happening in her home. Or the time when mom had baked a chocolate cake, my older brother came in and found that someone had cut a piece right out of the middle of the cake, dead center. 
and there was a trail of crumbs that flowed from the crime scene. And everyone knew who the criminal was. Not even a question. It just had to be me. And then on one occasion, my dad, my older brother, and I, and I don't, and mom was not with us, went strawberry picking up in the Silverton Hills, not far from Silver Creek Falls. And I believe my older brother worked for that farmer during berry picking, berry picking season, like driving the tractor. And while in the berry field, I needed to urinate. Okay, man's got to do what a man's got to do. But I got this great idea. I was probably around four. I'm not sure if my younger brother was born yet, or maybe he had been born and mom was home with him. And that's why it was just me, my dad, and my older brother in the berry field. All right. And so I had this idea that, you know, I kind of looked down my pant leg and, well, I had room between my the edge of my pants and my leg. And uh, so instead of taking time to walk over into the bushes and pull down my pants, had the clever idea that I could stand right there in the berry patch and sick, simply take good aim and plenty of room in my pants. They were rather baggy pants. And urinate on the spot. And no one would know. What sounded efficient, no wasted time, had the element of secrecy. Well, I ended up wetting the entire sides of my pants. And when my older brother and my dad saw me, they were absolutely disgusted, made a big fuss over, made a big fuss near the back of the station wagon, uh, in front of the owners of the berry field took off my pants, underwear, wrapped me around with an old blanket from the back of the car. And yes, that blanket, no one ever cleans that blanket. I was in position in the very back of the station wagon and was even turned around facing the back window. <laughs> you know, I, had, I had become the unclean leper. There I was on the island of misfit toys all by myself. And it was just one of those times that, well, your dad and my older brother was like my dad. I mean, we, we were like 13, 14 years apart. So, I mean, he's like, he's like in high school, you know, a junior or sophomore in high school, my dad. And both of them looked at me with that expression of what were you thinking? Well, what was I thinking? And they didn't wait for an answer. It was, here's when you know we're in trouble. What were you thinking? And don't talk to me. <laughs> they talk to you and then they tell you that they don't want to talk to you over and over again. You know. Yet I don't remember my feelings being hurt. Rather, as the family drove some eight miles home on the country roads, I remember going over my calculations in my little head. Where had, where had I erred, right? What had I not taken into account? Where had my reasoning been unsound? My plan had seemed so flawless. It was like one of the criminals on Perry Mason who had orchestrated the perfect crime only to be caught. Well, back to our hike to the irrigation ditch. So my younger brother ventured up into the rim rocks, started whooping like a wild savage, managed to dislodge a rather large boulder 
I mean, I'm thinking like a couple hundred pounds, maybe 300 pounds. And I just remember watching it roll all the way down the hillside and staring with my mouth open when it landed dead center into the irrigation ditch. Well, my dad was speechless. Of course, the rock was too heavy to move out or lift out of the ditch. So we spent about an hour digging around the side of the rock and eventually was able to move it into a pocket with plenty of room for the water to flow by. For, I don't know, maybe that this maybe this was the very first time in my life. For the first time in my life, it was, hey, I'm not the one in trouble. Someone else goofed up. It was kind of like being given a day off or a vacation. Someone else is in trouble. That's a breath of fresh air. But it wouldn't last long. If you get a chance, if you get a chance, go to Oregon. Oregon is a, a beautiful state. Uh, in two hours, you can have a change of scenery. Oregon obviously has an amazing coastline, and I've, I've driven it a couple of times the entire length. The southern part, you're right up against near the Redwoods. The northern part, you're in Astoria, where Lewis and Clark wintered. And much of Highway 101, you're not only within um, sight of the ocean, you might be a couple thousand yards from the ocean. 101 really in a lot of Oregon hugs the beach. Uh, the, the Oregon coast is not all developed like in many other places where either you can't see the beach or have access to it. The beach is public, entirely public. And there are so many places along the coast that you can just pull over and you have direct access to the ocean. Then you have the Willamette Valley you come inland, go over the coast range, which is not which is not incredibly tall. You know, your coast range pass might be 700 feet, 1600 feet, but you come into the valley and you have this agricultural wonder. And then the summer, it's filled with strawberries and blueberries and blackberries and boysenberries and marionberries and loganberries and peaches and apples and pears and you name it. It's there in Oregon. It's a cornucopia of just fresh fruit and vegetables in the summertime and, and, and heading into the fall as well. And then you have the Cascade Range that has the snow-capped mountains, including Mount Hood at 11,000 feet. But that's just a, a small fraction of Oregon. You have the Columbia Gorge that starts out with greenery, and then you head around Hood River, the city of the Dalles, and it becomes dry high desert. But most of Oregon is high desert. Maybe two-thirds of the state is dry, part of the Great Basin that goes down into Nevada. And uh, it, it's, it's just an amazing state. But Central Oregon, and Central Oregon is, as I noted, it's that area around Bend and Redmond. And it's an amazing place. And I have so many childhood memories from that, from that part of the country because the thoughts of childhood are long, long thoughts. And for me, 
the thoughts of childhood, besides the thoughts from Scripture, are what keep me going. Well, this is Mark Dunnigan for The Daily Answer. Hopefully, one day you'll run into an irrigation ditch. You know what? A young boy does not need much. You don't need a wide river. Just a small irrigation ditch of water. And you can have amazing adventures. Disconnect yourself from the internet sometime and your cell phone. And go out and you'll find wonders are surrounding you that you don't even notice. We'll see you in the funny papers.